Uh, welcome to Writer Syndrome, a podcast about writing from start to finish. This episode's topic, to query or not. I'm Russ Capasso, and joining me as always is Tim Letney. And our first guest, M.D. Payne, author of the middle grade children's series Monster Juice and a handful of books in the Who Was series, including Who Was Duke Ellington. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. And my first question for you, is Duke Ellington your go-to for jazz? You know, my, my go-to for jazz is actually not Duke. It's, it's like a Keith Jarrett trio or Bill Charlap trio or Larry Golding's trio. I'm a sucker for trios. trios. <laughs> big band, you know, like the older big band I, I love, especially Duke and Count Basie. But for me, Duke is more of like, you know, the, the spiritual, like sort of like, this is, this is the, the altar that I shall worship at. You are, you, you are my God. 3000 yeah. songs written, yeah. breaking through so many genres you know, creating templates for, you know, jazz artists to, to, to use for years to come. So I actually, um, before becoming a writer was in public radio, I did uh, production assistance for the jazz at Lincoln center radio program. And my first gig as an intern was helping to record Duke Ellington's sacred concerts. Nice. So basically going to the media's chunk first, I mean, yep. I had, I had been a jazz fan, was a jazz DJ at college, but it just in terms of seeing like live jazz done by Wynton Marsalis and the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, it's like, this is the ultimate. Um, <laughs> so to be able to write about such a figure for kids was like literally the culmination of like my 20 years of public radio and marketing communications and, you know, yeah. private school, you know, work into like writing for children. So it was amazing. That's awesome. So uh, your author name is MD Payne, just so everyone knows, but we may call you Matt throughout the rest of the podcast. So if anyone hears that, that's why. <laughs> I consent. Uh, you consent to being called Matt, your, your name. And M MD Payne is my name too, in the sense that those are right. my initials. So yeah. like, you know, R.L. Stein, he's, you know, Robert Lawrence and I'm Matthew Dale. Uh, but it's more fun for me. And though I'm not as popular as RL, MD has more of a horror author ring to it, I feel like. Well, wait for <laughs> this podcast to come out, okay? Because then yeah. I think you'll... I can't wait. I can't wait for my <laughs> Twitters and my Instagrams to be like, no. I'm blowing up. So... So uh, this uh, the topic of this um, of this episode is is querying and whether you should or not. Um, so Tim and I are in kind of interesting spots. We're both very new to the becoming soon to be authors. Uh, I've kind of chosen one path. I'm going to try and go the self self published path, and Tim is I think set to go with trying to go traditional publishing querying and stuff. So. Yeah, I want to feel as much rejection as I possibly can. <laughs> and you shall. <laughs> I've been like riding really high and feeling confident lately. And I just want to, you know, pound that into the ground. Well, a little humble. Get a little humble. Yeah. Make me feel humble again. Well, I, I think like it kind of leads into like kind of the, the one of the first questions I had for, for Matt. Um, like what was that process like for you? And I'm curious from, is there a difference from like, obviously we're just throwing words at people and being like, you know, get into this. Whereas you're creating a story, uh, obviously, plus you have illustrations with, with, uh, in middle grade kind of, you know, storytelling. Is there a difference with that? And what was that whole process like for you? Yeah. So what's interesting and the irony here is that you booked the guy who neither queried, uh, nor self-published to get into writing, <laughs> though it has learned oodles about it since. Um, I, I sort of fell into my, so monster juice, uh, was, the first series I wrote, and it came about because I was doing marketing communications, creative copywriting for the Goosebumps series for Scholastic. So I came at it from, I, I just, it was a series of lucky events where um, my wife who worked in publishing 
um, I became friendly with her friends. And one of those friends, Francesco Sedita, at the time was doing marketing for Goosebumps. And he's like, you know, he knew I was a writer because I wrote for public radio scripts and marketing. And, you know, I was marketing shows nationwide. And he also knew I liked Halloween because often it would be at his house that we'd have a Halloween party. And he's like, dude, you're a Halloweenie. You love all the spooky stuff. I know you can write. <laughs> have you ever thought of, you know, writing for children? I'm looking for someone to do special features in the back of book of re-releases for Goosebumps. And I need someone to help me with um, a website, enterhorrorland.com. And I had done website work in the public radio sphere. And so I'm like, yeah, he's like, send me a test. I sent him a test. He liked what I wrote. I did 14 Goosebumps, you know, special features. Uh, so not the actual books themselves, but some stuff that would happen after the book. So when they re-release them 15 years after the fact, there's a new cover and some fun stuff in the back. So I have not written any Goosebumps books, but I have had a lot of fun doing special features like Q&A with R.L. Stein, quizzes to see if you can escape the swamp with the werewolf. Like, will you make it? Um, <laughs> special cool. features on like, does the moon actually make us crazy? Like just really silly kind of fun kitty stuff. And it was so good that when he moved to, it worked so well, we worked so well together. Not to say I'm so good, but it just clicked. And when he moved, when Francesco moved uh, Grosset and Dunlap at, uh, Penguin Young Readers, he asked me to pitch uh, an idea because he wanted to bring some talent with him. And um, so he became publisher of Grosset and Dunlap, which is now Penguin Young Readers, um, Penguin Workshop. And I did Monster Juice. And it was all, you know, so it was not like slaving over a manuscript and sweating and beta readers and is this good enough? And is it true to me? And who is my reader? It was literally like, give me an idea if I like it enough. We'll workshop it with an editor. If he likes it enough, we'll make it happen. And so for me, it was like the opposite, right? It was always like, this is the idea. Does that work? Great. Here's the outline. Does that work? No, nope. you want to rewrite it? Great. Now I will write the book for you. So I came in through the back door and I was very lucky to have done that. And, uh, but since then I've, I've kind of contemplated, you know, for my next projects, you know, should, should I try and self-publish? Because as, as nice as it is to have a big publishing company behind you, unless you are the R.L. Steins and the J.K. Rowlings of the world, you're not getting a massive amount of mark. Uh, you know, it's, it's a handful of titles that get the bulk of the marketing support at these houses. Um, so you're out in the different channels, but they're not necessarily pushing you as hard. And, you know, the royalty is much lower. Whereas yeah. if you self-publish, it's just the cost of self-publishing. Matt, do they tap you to do marketing yourself? Or is that one of the, like, do you still see that as a benefit? Whereas like you've gone the traditional quote unquote traditional route that you don't necessarily take on the marketing aspect or do you also kind of co-market along with I, them? I do co-market. Yeah. So with Monster Juice, it was sort of a combo of like, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, cool, I'll make some fun book trailers. Mm. you know, with my film friends and just see if those go anywhere. And, um, you know, now when I do school visits, I end up being able to like break the ice with the kids by playing funny videos. Um, so it's a little from column A, a little from column B. What about distribution? I mean, I, I imagine that going with a publishing house, you have wider distribution than you would have if you just self-published, right? Because you'd be limited to Amazon or, or whatever else. Do you have a say in where your book pops up? 
No, that's really all up to sales. I'm, it could be that like, ha, you know, bigger authors do have a say. Um, but my, you know, so, so my experience in mass market paperback um, is really you work with your editor. The editor will describe what it is the book is to sales and sales will really kind of outline where it is they're going to put the book, where they think it's going to work. And then they kind of double back to marketing. I mean, marketing's involved too, like everyone's on board, but ultimately it's sales that says it's going to go here, 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 here at these quantities. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're doing it yourself, you know, it's sort of a like with Amazon anyway, it's like a paper book, you know, it's just like how many, how many books will be bought? Those are how many will be created by Amazon. And I think based on the numbers, you get a little more of a, a, a chunk of cash as you get higher numbers. But yes, for sure, the publishing route is going to get you higher numbers. The irony being like, you know, at what point do those higher numbers with the lower royalty make up mm. for the yeah. lower numbers with you taking a much larger chunk of, you know, the revenue? Go a little off of the like the querying topic, but I'm kind of curious about like working with working with the artists and are they, mm-hmm. are they artists that you pull in and, uh, or is it coming from the publisher or they kind of pair you up with, with someone from based on the ideas you have or. So for me, it was, and mind you, it was really just cover and some line art. You know, I, I do this sort of like solid middle grade where there's very few illustrations in the book. Yeah. Um, I came to the project without an illustrator and then they connected me with someone there was, uh, this is terrible. Like <laughs> ye gods strike me with lightning. I forget the name of the first illustrator I worked with. She was, uh, uh, an artist who up until that point had only done skateboard and like surfboard art. Mm-hmm. And they tapped her as someone who's just kind of cool and fresh. And Hey, would you like to do like a, a kid's horror book cover? And, uh, and then she ended up having other obligations. And I worked with a gentleman by the name of Keith zoo, who is the children's book illustrator by trade. And just this wacky dude who like does really great work with like light in his, his, his art. And, um, he, I was more connected to and by like the fifth and sixth book, you know, he and I were chatting and kind of like comparing notes and even had mm-hmm. an idea for like, maybe like a side project. You know, there, there's many number if, if if there's listeners out there who are thinking of writing a book with illustrations, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole, you know, you can, you can come to a publisher with even a picture book where you're the author and you're looking for a artist, or you can come along with an artist and say, we're the package deal and we're doing this together. And here's some, you know, sketches. There's many number of ways that artists and illustrators come together, even in the picture book realm. And then, of course, there's the author illustrators. So what would that look like then if you were if you were to if you didn't have kind of like you came into this this back door, um, if you were kind of fresh and you were writing, you know, the, one of the books you're doing now and you were creating with an artist, how, how would that look? Or do you, do you would you have an idea of how that would look if you were to, you know, kind of try to query with you know, something you've written currently? You know, something yeah, like I mean, that. on the on the one hand, it's. You know, so so with the with an author and an illustrator together, on the one hand, if you come as a package, there's a benefit because you're already showing the publishing company what it is that you're hoping to do. Yeah. You know, and the illustrator will be edited just in the way that the writer will be edited, but at least you have something where it's like, this is our initial vision. Um, I don't actually know what the split is for like, but if you come as an author without an illustrator, are you more likely to be paired with someone? Like, what yeah. is it that publishing houses are looking for? I'm not sure if they prefer, you know, you to come with your own illustrator 
or they would rather pair you up with someone. Um, and then of course, for the author illustrator, there's no choice I and mean, you're the same person. So you're just submitting your, your work. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what I do know, what I can say is that it, if you have an idea, but you are not an artist, but you have an idea for a picture book, you can be paired with an illustrator by the publishing house and, and it works. Yeah. You know, and then you have people like Seth Myers who like just put out a very successful picture book. Clearly it was just an idea. <laughs> and he yeah, went to yeah. the publishing company and was like, yeah, let's make this happen. Who can you connect me with? You know, <laughs> like, so obviously different levels of talent and, and different uh, ways of it happening. Do you, do you find, so you, you talked about potentially your, you've thought about self-publishing. Do you, do you think there's still like a stigma attached to self-publishing and like there's like a quality versus stigma, I guess, attached to like people who are self-publishing versus who are traditionally published? You know, I think the stigma is lessening for sure. Yeah. And even having gone through 11 books with Penguin when it was time to kind of stop. And like, I mean, and I was also blessed with, you You know, th these, these lucky things kept happening over and over to me. So like the Monster Juice series was winding down because the sales numbers weren't there. It's fine. You know, mm -hmm. like they put it out there. I feel like I certainly sold enough for a first time unknown author to feel like, oh, wow, that was, that was good. But it didn't, it wasn't knocked out of the park, you know, in any sense of the, of the word, but they liked me as an author and they were like, Hey, you worked with R.L. Stein. We have the who was series. Would you like to do who was our, who is R.L. Stein? Mm. I said, sure. And at the, the breakfast where I met the editor of that series, uh, I, they, they happened to mention that like, Oh yeah, we don't, we don't do a lot of musicians too. It's something we're hoping to do more of. I'm like, Oh really? Have you done jazz musicians? They're like, which one would you do? I'm like Duke Ellington. She's like sold. <laughs> we'll great. do two books. I love writing up contracts. <laughs> with two books instead of one. It's just so easy. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy. interesting, right? Because and we're talking about, you know, querying or self-publishing, but I do feel like it is a lot. And I think this goes in all aspects of life. It's a who you know and like your experience, because like, you've certainly built in your experience, right, Matt? From being in communications, you know, from doing some marketing. And then and I think there's these collisions, like you obviously put yourself out there and you were open to new things happening um i feel like that's completely necessary to have success in publishing but in all walks of life you can't just unfortunately i'd love to hold myself in a corner and, and just type but as a new author i think i need to go out and actually meet people <laughs> i mean it's a catch-22 because this whole time 100 i am not disparaging the luck that i have had but the reason you make your I own luck too, right? Yeah. Like I think you that's luck, quote unquote, but you put you put yourself in your choices, put yourself in every one of those situations. You could have made a completely different decision and, and I think missed out on that opportunity. So luck, but I feel like it's not to sound like too Buddhist, but I think there's some karma there where like <laughs> your positive choices have led you down a positive path. I agree. Also, though, what I grapple with and the reason that after I was sort of karmically blessed with monster juice and for who was books and the frankenstein choose your own adventure i realized none of it was my own even monster juice wasn't quite my own because it was always here's this 22 word idea do you mm -hmm. like it or not here's this you know 500 page outline do you like it or not i really wanted to sit down and write from beginning to end, which is, you know, like my, my idea, nobody's checking in on me. I'm not even asking my wife, like, what do you think about this? 
And I'm just going to write the fricking book, like 33,000 words, which I realized, you know, 10 years in and 11 books in, I had never done. I'd never mm-hmm. just done what most authors do, which is like sit down, head down, ignore your family, work on it. What's going on? <laughs> working on the book. What's going on? Working on the book. Where are you today? I'm just working on the book. <laughs> and I, I kind of, I wanted that, right? Like as as a way to go like, wait a minute, like, have I been gaming the system this whole time by coming in from these different angles, you know, which really highlighted the benefits of coming in with those different angles. And like you say, kind of opening myself up. The downside, of course, was that it was, I had to be so much more flexible. I think someone who has a vision of like, this is my creation coming in the back door, maybe, you know, isn't going to be as successful. And it really Mm -hmm. does come down to like, do I query or do I self-publish? And so I I thought about self-publishing and then I realized, you know, like ultimately, well, first of all, it's not even a, it's a different question for me because I'm saying, am I self-publishing or am I continuing with a major publishing house? Yeah. (laughs) Because I have someone that I know that I can be like, read this. What do you think? And Mm -hmm. so ultimately I was like, it's still for me anyway, better to go that route sort of go like, not only because it's, it's, you know, someone, right. But because it's the beast, you know, like I know this world now, I know the, like working through publishers, the pratfalls, the upside, the downside, like, what am I giving up working with an editor versus if I really did want it to be my vision, I should self-publish, but then will it even get anywhere? Maybe because I've had previous series and I can, you know, market off of that. And so for me personally, the querying versus self-publishing moment happened quite late. I shouldn't say that it never happened. Ultimately, I went with having the ability to get out multiple copies, even if I was getting minimal royalties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was kind of where I landed. If I were to start from scratch, I think that it would be a little bit more of a conundrum for me. And, you know, Tim, I had introduced you to a friend of mine uh, who has successfully self-published, at least at the level that he's comfortable with. Jeff Morrison, who is a sci-fi author and self-published, just enjoys writing and got out there enough and got some like feedback from people and just like feels like, wow, that's all I needed. Now, mind you, that's tacked onto a writing career and right. he's you know successfully submitted pieces to the New York Times and Wired and all these other places. So yeah. he's not necessarily putting all his eggs in one publishing basket. Yeah. But he as a really creative, nice. it was very fulfilling to him. Yeah. And he, he I mean, he's built as I was looking into Jeff and he's such a great guy, his ecosystem, you know, he's built a YouTube channel. He has an Instagram, he's got a Twitter, he's got his articles and there's always these hyperlinks, right? Where it's the self-sustaining, you know, if you like my travel writing, maybe you'll like my fiction writing. So even when he's not marketing his book per se or his books per se, his name's getting out there for like a multitude of, of reasons. It's really impressive. But it is a hustle, right? So yeah, that's, yeah, totally. and, and it's it's still a hustle with a publishing company, unless you're the R.L. Stein, J.K. Rowling, you know, like Rick Riordan's of the world, you know, you, you still, it's it's still like a one in a thousand chance for your like little spark to, to create a wildfire if you're not pushing behind it. I was at like Barnes and Noble, just kind of like walking around looking for comps. And obviously you got your big authors in the horror section, your Kings and your Steins and, you know, your Rices. And then there's others, the ones that are closer to kind of where I am as far as themes go and, and writing. And there's um, like Paul Tremblay, who's a smaller author and Nick Cutter, who's like, it's a pseudonym, but they've still found success, but they're not that high level, right? They're not your, 
JKs, right? Or your RL Steins, but they have found solid success. And that's kind of the, that's where I'd aim. And I, I think that's still aiming very, very high, especially for a first time author. But that's when I'm looking at comps, it's those ones, right? Where it's kind of word of mouth, you know, there's no big posters up for them anywhere. You know, you kind of learn about them if you're into horror. And so it seems like there's different strata of success, I guess. Like, I, I don't expect to be wildly, I don't think this is going to, like, what I write is going to be adapted into a movie. I and mean, there's going to be a big poster of me up anywhere. But I'd love to be able to sell a modest amount and be featured in some bookstores. Like, that's kind of where I want to aim. I don't know how the hell that's going to happen. But a lot of rejection. <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh, I find it interesting too, and coming back to just kind of everything you guys were talking about is just that a lot of these authors who are even debut authors who, you know, kind of come out of nowhere, they had some type of platform or something they had already done before this within writing that kind of maybe had them in, in you know, buzzing in the, in the world. And then they put out their book and then it's like, oh, this is, here's this big book from this person who's written for or done this thing beforehand, maybe hasn't written like a full novel or anything, which I... I find uh, interesting because I've done nothing, so I don't. <laughs> just gonna be this little self-published little little win that's just gonna go on Amazon for a little bit. <laughs> you know? The other thing, right? And this, I think Jeff can speak to this if he ever Jeff Morrison, if he ever um, joins us. The self-publishing itself is something, right? You're building yeah. up your portfolio, you're yeah. increasing your visibility. You know, if you do have some success, that may turn into you know, traditional publishing at some point, if you kind of yeah. keep your nose to the grindstone, it's the hustle it's, that is yeah. um, intimidating yeah. for me yeah. and honestly Likewise. discouraging because I, I'd like to write and not market. I market in my nine to five job. That's not what I want to do for like, you know, a quote unquote passion project. Yeah. But I guess if I'm passionate, I'll have to sell myself. Yeah. I think I'm looking at the first going through the self-publishing route. I mean, for me, it was just more of, let me learn the ins and outs of every kind of nook and cranny of doing this, this, this thing and as much as I can, and then have this thing that's out there, whether it does well or not, that's, that's one thing, but, um, just having it as almost like a weird way, like a business card you could give to someone else. If I go and write a second book, I can be like, Hey, I do have this thing that is published. It's out there. It's sold 10 copies. Tim bought nine of them, you know? So I'm going to buy more than nine. I got Christmas coming up. Uh, but yeah, I find it interesting that uh, there is that, that hustle that you do need to do. And Tim and I have definitely talked about it's not something we want to get. It's not the exciting part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I, um, I get so down on myself that I'm not as active in those arenas. But like you guys kind of come back to like, but I want to be a writer. I never said I want to be a social media mm -hmm. maven. But does one have to? I mean, certainly if one self-publishes. And sadly, most authors who are published by big publishing, or even you know, from the smaller to the bigger publishing companies, also need to have a big presence. Um, or not really have to, but like it just seems like that that hustle is required to like lift yourself up. And at what point are you like, yeah, but I got into this for fun and to be creative and to connect with young readers and young readers aren't even on or shouldn't be on social media. Like the right. kids that I'm like trying to connect with eight to 12 year olds, like we all know 10 year olds are like learning about TikTok and seeing things they shouldn't see there, but certainly eight year olds, like they just have no social media presence. What, and what, what is Twitter to yeah. anyone? Like, <laughs> right. you know, like, I mean, you might find success. What is the next on, Like, I mean, and you'd started doing some promotional videos, right, Matt? Um, I feel like you'd find success on, on YouTube, especially making kind of kid-friendly content that could pop up on YouTube kids. I think that could be a, a decent avenue for you, just short stuff. But I don't, th I, th I think you're right. I think TikTok's the wrong fit. I think Twitter, I mean, you're not going to 
grow it. I think it's okay to kind of post like, oh, I'm doing this today or, or whatever else that this book came out. But it does feel like your audience is definitely on YouTube. Because I, I, I speak to that because I have an eight-year-old and I have a 10-year-old and mm -hmm. they've been on YouTube too soon. I know like I feel horrible about the algorithm and you know it's mapping their brain and their viewing habits and all that, but they're exposed to uh, so much kind of passive marketing on there. Yeah, I could see like, it'd be nice, honestly, if folks were reading their books, you know, to kids. I mean, I don't know how that works with publishing rights and things like that. But yeah, still, there's the time. And wouldn't you rather spend that time writing than than generating video content? Yeah, or that moment where we have to get back to our families. And, you know, I'm grateful to have uh, my wife, my wife works in publishing. And so she understands the writer syndrome, yeah, <laughs> if you will. And I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, you know, but there is that sort of guilt too, of like, it's not just about like, how am I promoting? How am I hustling versus when am I writing? It's, it's that trifecta of, you know, writing, promoting it and whoa, whoa, just spending time with your family and forget about like giving yourself a little right. mental break. It, and I know we're kind of cartwheeling into different directions here, but it's, it's all, you know, like how, basically that question of like, how do I get my work out there? You know? So yes, you are correct. And like, here I am getting, you know, stuck on the, the hot new thing and not kind of going, well, how do I fit myself into that promotional thing easier? And like, it is video. That's what I started to do when I first came out. You know, why should I try to build up a Twitter following or an Instagram following when in reality, it just like keep doing videos and have fun with it. Cause that's the key too. Yeah. as soon as you sour on this work, and I've had those moments. I know you guys have had those moments where you're just like, what am I yeah. doing? I'm like, I just wrote like <laughs> a page and it took me four hours. Where is my head? What am I doing? Yeah. You feel like a crazy person. Yep. Um, and then also too, like when you're, if you do end up doing more video content, I mean, you can cross post, you know, that's something that you could, you know, put onto Twitter and just say, oh, you know, direct folks to the, to the new video. But you're right. That, that kind of, work life, you know, passion life balance is tough. And the marketing aspect, like it's bottomless and addictive because you're once again, you're like, yeah, you're getting that dopamine drip of even the small successes mm -hmm. and the passive likes and shares, you know, I think that can be a huge distraction from actually creating. So as I think about, you know, the future of what the hell I'm going to do with my book, I really want to make sure that I don't cannibalize the writing time. If I have two or three hours every day, you know, I want 30 minutes mm -hmm. to an hour of that to be kind of marketing, but I really want to do the writing bit first because I know I'd rather have the writing bit balloon than the marketing bit balloon. And I get addicted. Yeah. I, I mean, I cut off social media for a long time just because it's terrible. <laughs> it's just <laughs> such like. Oh, I know. Parasite. Even just getting like. I'm going on to talk about my book in the hopes that parents, <laughs> teachers, and librarians will find something humorous in my tone. And I, what's this? <laughs> oh my God. The GOP has done what? <laughs> oh my, oh no. The proud boys are saying what again? Oh my God. There's people saying such things on this place. <laughs> Why am I here? Um, I, I will say I had a moment of, of a ray of sunshine. When I finished, what is the story of Captain Kirk? I ended up connecting with um, Trekkers on Twitter. And as you would expect, Trek Twitter is a much more noble and reasonable endeavor mm. than any other sector of Twitter. Sense. Yeah. 
And it's all about the love of the characters and the vision and Gene Roddenberry. And there's lots of standing and, and uh, lots of shipping. And, you know, there's a whole sector of like, what if Kirk and Spock were lovers? And there's all this queer culture around like Star Trek is all inclusive. Yeah. And, you That's know, awesome. like, let's talk about the queerness of Star Trek. And so I got into that area and was really like rejuvenated with Twitter. And then even Trek Twitter, there was like infighting mm. and people yelling at each other and like, why don't you respect this? And how dare you say you're a Trek fan? And I'm like, I'm out, <laughs> I'm out. Even Star Trek cannot remain holy. Like there has to be, there's always a rabbit hole you can yeah. go down. You know, we are like a little active on um on Twitter, obviously to promote the podcasts and, you know, promote the upcoming books. And there's this subset of audience and they're relatively supportive there's like a hashtag writing community um at its best it's very supportive uh, at its worst it's just kind of rhetorical questions to get engagement and then spamming you know your new book and yeah i mean i do it with the podcast i'm i'm certainly <laughs> guilty of it i was on today shameless self promo thursday <laughs> and you know you get in there and you say it's you think it's not worthwhile then you get like you know 10 more listens and it's like oh shoot like it's there's kind of some proof in the pudding yeah. there but i am concerned you know if I do self-publish and I am promoting in that way, I know that repeat, like you, you cease to be human and you're more of a bot. You're just kind of posting yourself this one thing. And mm -hmm. I feel like mm -hmm. you're muted in a way. Nobody listens to you. It's almost dehumanizing. And um, I worry about it because I do want to sell. Obviously, I'd love to be read. I'm not really in it for money. Thank God. Um, but I am in it. I am yes. in it to be read. So if the marketing is going to fall 100% on my shoulders, social is going to have to be a part of it. I recently realized that I, I need to stop using my personal Facebook page mm. for promoting the book. I mean, once in a while is fine, but it's like, I, I'm not even on Facebook that often anymore. So if all I'm doing is the occasional picture of the tomatoes that are coming in my garden and like, read my book, or like, <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to be at this school. Like, I one of the things... I've, I've realized is like, okay, unless you create an author page on Facebook and you get your friends to follow you there and they're willingly like, oh, this is Matt. And this is where he connects with us as friends and family. And this is Matt's, you know, Facebook page that if I want to learn more about his books, I can like, um, cause it was getting a little, I felt really weird about it. I felt like, am I just like some promo hound or mm -hmm. people like, oh, him with another book <laughs> though. There's also that like, yeah, but if I relegate it to the page on Facebook, a lot of people aren't going to see it. And I do like, you know, hearing people go, oh, my God, Matt, that's so great. I didn't know you were mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah. You know, like that's a fun like it's a reminder of like as dark as those moments may get where you're like, why am I writing And the thunder and the lightning? There's people who would kill, would literally skin me <laughs> and become me <laughs> to continue writing books. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, no, I get to say, like, I've written 11 mm -hmm. books. This is amazing. Right? Like, we had such a great chat with MD Payne that we had to break it up into two episodes. So stay tuned for part two, which will be coming soon. Otherwise, thanks for listening. If you have a topic idea or feedback, send us an email at chatterwritersyndrome.com. Find us on Twitter at writer underscore syndrome or head over to writersyndrome.com for all our episodes. Till next time, keep writing.